mostly. Keyword, mostly. Well, that, that's how we work, and that's why we set the bar low with our name. <laughs> He's being honest, though. Yeah. I try goofy looks because they tend to. Yeah, there's no, there's no improving. Flaws. It's yeah. totally true. Like you have to kind of over exaggerate things. I'm getting across that we might be discussing something of importance, or it might be a mafia doc. Neither <laughs> one of these things could be true. And the audio doesn't come across on stills, yeah. so. <laughs> All right, if you guys are ready to get started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Mike George. I'm the co-chair of programming for Starbase Indy. Uh, I'd like to welcome you to our panel on the future of the DC Cinematic Universe. Um, I'd like to welcome our panelists, uh, David West and Gabriel Canada from the Kind of Epic Show podcast. That is an interesting pronunciation. I appreciate that, sir. Along with Starbase Indie staffer Matthew Santana. Hello. Is it Canada? Yeah. It, it may be. It's, okay. definitely, it's definitely Canada. <laughs> On Earth 2, it's probably Kenyatta. <laughs> Makes it sound exotic. <laughs> We're providing all right, <laughs> Warner Brothers Studios has tried to bring a large, sweeping universe of DC Comics characters to the big screen since the late 1990s, but bringing different characters from different movies together never seems to get off the ground for Warner Brothers. Uh, Tim Burton tried to bring Super, uh, Michael Keaton's Batman into his aborted Superman Lives project, and then the, uh, with the box office disappointment of Bryan Singer's Superman Returns and the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern film, Studios stopped their push to complete uh, to compete with Marvel Studios, uh, but the success of the uh, 2013 Superman reboot, Man of Steel, finally gave Warner Brothers the footing they needed to complete with Marvel's sprawling cinematic universe. In March, the much anticipated sequel, Batman vs Superman: Dawn of Justice, will open in theaters. David, why do you think Warner Brothers has dragged its feet on bringing a larger cinematic universe to the big screen for the DC characters? Well, I mean, Marvel kind of set an impressive bar. You know, they had Iron Man and Incredible Hulk that set everything up. And at the time, DC was having their, well, the Dark Knight franchise. Mm. Uh, the Dark Knight came out a month after Iron Man, something yeah. like that. So, I mean, they were doing their own thing when Marvel got started. You know, I, I don't even think they were thinking about a cinematic universe at the time that Dark Knight came out. Um, and then, of course, Green Lantern was supposed to be their jumping-off point for their cinematic universe, and that kind of bombed. So, I guess I wouldn't say Goyer had involvement in both of those, but Nolan was just dragging his feet, saying, "No, yeah, I don't want any correlation to to the wider wider universe implied." For sure, I think uh, casting probably has a big part of that too, because there's so much that people say about Tony Stark and. Um, Robert Downey Jr. being Tony Stark and, and body, like yeah, outside it was of the casting. universe. And you haven't, certainly Ryan Reynolds was not that for Hal Jordan. You no. Know? Right. And I think that maybe could well, have hurt it a little bit too. Green Lantern, the problem with it, it, it didn't have the tone of which Green Lantern should have had. Uh, the way I've always seen Green Lantern, it should have this Lord of the Rings epic scale to it just in space. And it didn't have that. They scaled everything back to being this little property that should have been a lot larger. Although I think the thing that you like... And bad guys shouldn't be clouds. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. That's that's a superhero formula that crosses both Marvel and DC, yeah. though. <laughs> that's the Fantastic Four villain. <laughs> Galactus was was a giant space cloud before uh, before they, they got Parallax. to Parallax. 
So, so Gabriel, were you uh, were you happy with what Warner Brothers did with, with uh, the Superman character in Man of Steel? Uh, I think that it is a better jumping off point than we would have had in the 1990s. I mean, they've, they've, made, a, they've made a point of uh, the fact that the closest that we've come to a unified universe was the fact that George Clooney, um, when he was Batman, um, and we don't like to talk about that very much, um, mentioned, uh, mentioned Superman in, uh, in uh, one of those two films. And he's just saying, like, Superman doesn't have to put up with this crap. Well, Superman Returns also makes a Batman reference as well. Yeah. Well, that was more explicit because they yeah. have Gotham, and so there's there's actual actual thing. And I would I wouldn't have minded that at all. I, I liked the elements of the Singer film. Yeah. Um, not the uh, the idea of lifting a kryptonite laced continent into the sky. <laughs> 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 that that didn't didn't make fans all that happy. Um, and and Superman didn't punch anybody. And then Superman didn't punch anybody. <laughs> apparently, people were angry at, which is not all that concerning. But the um, yeah, I guess we went from not having him punch things to having him snap people's necks. So maybe we swung a little too far <laughs> in, in the, testing the waters. You know, yeah. <laughs> DC is is good at many things. Moderation is not one of them. No, they've never really so, been known for that. But I, I think that we we could have done far worse as a jumping off point. I, I think we were talking before the we got here for the panel, though, that this is an interesting topic. We have to call this the future of the DC cinematic universe because it's built off of that one film. <laughs> so there's there's not a universe yet. At this point, yeah. Okay, so I wanna I wanna stop since we talked about the film a little bit. We wanna provide everybody a copy of the, the trailer for the new Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. See if we can get this technology to work. Today is a day for. Power to wipe out the entire human race. 
red capes are coming. The red capes are coming. mentioned earlier that it's we're really kind of building this entire franchise off of one movie and uh, so it's not really set in stone um, and, it, and it separated itself from the fairly successful Batman trilogy we just saw um, and DC has the habit of not doing justice to some of their characters Wonder Woman being one who kind of constantly falls under the ball a little bit in terms of like promise versus execution and I think that one of the, Batman and Superman may be the headliners of this movie, but I think that if, if something is going to cause this movie to fail, it would be the representation of Wonder Woman. I know that she's heavily anticipating a lot of people are looking forward to her and what she's going to do, to the point where, like, one of the biggest talking points about this movie has been her costume and what they were going to do with it until there was an official release. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, people talk about her being hard to work with. It's like, I, I think they kind of regret not going with that Joss Whedon script. Yeah. Or, you know, that guy who just directed Fury Road. Yeah, he could not have done a good job with Wonder Woman. <laughs> Especially, I don't know if you saw George those Miller. pictures of that Wonder Woman yeah, came out as well. He had, fantastic. He wanted yep. to, to do a practical redesign, mm-hmm. and it didn't look like something that you would see in, see, in uh, Fury Road. On the subject of it failing, I don't think the movie will fail financially. That movie's going to make crazy amounts of money. Especially since Warner Brothers has no other competition. Like, next year, this was a really bad year for Warner Brothers films. They all pretty much were lower than expected grosses. And so they're putting a massive, massive amount of of energy into these franchise films. We're getting a sequel to a Harry Potter film that... Nobody asked, <laughs> Nobody asked for. So, like, they're just like, we've got, we've got Warner Brothers, or we we own DC, and uh, we've got uh, Harry Potter. So we're gonna do both of those next year, and we're gonna do two of these for the next several years, and just hope that they work. Because it doesn't matter if if one or both of the films every year is a is a failure. They just need like one hit <laughs> to yeah. make up. Because like Avengers grossed almost two billion dollars, right? I mean, they Somewhere essentially just needed, they just need one hit to justify the oh, success for, sure. for the entire franchise. Almost. But if you look at it, uh, Batman's in Suicide Squad. So even if people don't like Ben Affleck as Batman, I've always been a supporter of Ben Affleck as Batman. I think he'll do a great job. Yeah. But Especially since he seems to be playing an older post-retirement Batman. Yeah, for sure. Which I think he can definitely pull off. Uh well, he's already in Suicide Squad, so if people don't mm-hmm. like him, we already have another movie coming out with him next year. 
if they don't like Wonder Woman, they've already started production on the Wonder Woman movie. Yeah. It's officially started filming. So Those I mean, films are in the can. It doesn't matter how successful um, Batman versus Superman actually ends up being. They're not going to cancel production on the Justice League film. No, no way. No, it's too big. Yeah, too They're big. definitely not going to even cancel the Aquaman film. I mean, they've invested a lot into Jason Momoa, enough mm-hmm. to the point where he just can sit back and do nothing for yeah. four years. Yeah, right? <laughs> So, Gabriel, tell me, what do you think of, about the, the casting of Aaron Eisenberg as Lex Luthor? How do you think that'll play into the story? We've got all these characters you're throwing in, and, yeah. and he's sort of a, you know, the Superman supervillain. So, well, I mean, Lex, Lex Luthor, if he was alive today, wouldn't invent a chemical company. He would invent Facebook. Yeah. So they, <laughs> they got the guy who invented Facebook in, in a different film and who was a, kind of a sociopath in that. So they figured this would be more effective. Also... They went the opposite of the Batman formula, which is, yeah, I get that Lex Luthor occasionally punches things. That's not why he exists. Yeah. So you don't need a physically intimidating Lex Luthor, and it, I'm sure that you don't even, if you make him bald eventually, I mean, that could be some kind of a plot point, but I don't even think people are asking for that That was that one of the first off. pictures that they released was Jesse Eisenberg with the shaved head, so it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe it's like uh, it's something kind of campy and fun in the DC way that it's like he gets exposed to kryptonite radiation or oh. something. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, pretty dark, yeah. actually. Well, I mean, he could stand to go a little a little on the darker end. I mean, the, I think that may help make the Batman films more successful. And one of the major critiques against Superman, while a lot of people say they aren't fans of Superman, is because he's too. Too good. He's just too yeah. good to that's, fail. That's also why people like him. Yeah, that, that is know. a good point. I, I, I like uh, the kind of the darker take on him a little bit. You know what I mean? It makes him a little more relatable. But on television, sense. The Flash has proved that you can have a lighthearted character True. and still have fun with the character. Because yeah. The Flash has never been dark. True. And they perfectly translated <laughs> it to television. That's true. Yeah. And it's it's kind of contentious, but I guess if you want to bring the same kind of tonal character like Supergirl even though we may disagree about about where we'd put it in terms of, of like or dislike or is there too what? early to tell but it's got the best ratings of any of the superhero dramas that are currently on and yeah. The Flash beat out all expectations on the CW yeah. ended up getting numbers that were better than Gotham yeah. uh, being on a broadcast network mm-hmm. which for them is great yeah. <laughs> they I think don't... it shows them a lot that they have not been catering to the fans enough they've been thinking oh we need to play it safe go here go do this thing mm-hmm. and then these these yeah. things come out like flash and and supergirl and they explode all over the place and they're not your typically like famous franchise i hate to say that um common pop culture that like that superman or that batman is mm-hmm. i mean sure they are but like in the terms of like the casual fan like you may know of the flash or like people are like ah supergirl was a thing once wasn't she and then like they come out with this TV show and we're everywhere. I guess you got to kind of play off each other, though, in the tone. Like, I mean, going back to the casting thing, like, if he's funny or if he's just kind of kind of there to dispense witticisms and yeah. just kind of be a smarty yeah, Lex Luthor. Just Luther, be Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah, just yes. be Jesse Eisenberg, essentially, like you're watching Zombieland or something. Yeah. That, that works because then that's a counterpoint to 
like the if stoic you, to the kind of the stoic mm-hmm. to the Gene Hackman to the Gene yes. Hackman yeah or or even to like to the Batfleck character who's who's very intense and brooding in this <laughs> because <laughs> that's how you know he's Batman right because he he likes things to be punched and he <laughs> likes to have a very serious face while doing it right it's the upside down eyes and the metal mask now yeah. and so maybe you don't have to have that every time with Superman like yeah. uh, people talk about the best moment of Superman comics in the last maybe twenty or thirty years is. The Grant Morrison thing, where Superman saves somebody jumping off a or a kid jumping off of a of a ledge, talks him down yeah, from. It was uh, Straczynski, I believe it was. I, yeah. yeah, I think it was. You, I, I during mean, uh, when he was walking across America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I thought I thought it was Morrison for some yeah. reason, but I probably got it wrong. Straczynski. Yeah, but yeah, he talks <laughs> the talks the kid off the ledge and uh, and saves him, and that's like kind of like what Superman is, you know? It's, yeah. He's whatever people need him to be, like the trailer says, because I'm cheating. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, basically with the Dawn of Justice film, we're, we're, you know, with the Marvel Universe, you've got all these standalone movies with Iron Man, with Incredible Hulk, with Thor, with Captain America. They all got their first standalone movie, and then they brought them together for the Avengers, or maybe they had a tie-in. With this, we're getting Wonder Woman, we're getting The Flash, we're getting Lex Luthor, we're getting the Joker mentioned. Um... Do you think it's gonna? Do you think it might? It's gonna work better just kind of throwing these character characters in together right off the bat, or do you? Or do you think it'll be worse, or do you think it'll just be different? The original um, subtitle for this was "Lack of Backstory." It was <laughs> Batman v Superman: Lack of Backstory. <laughs> I I think that there's a lot of you have one two ways you can go. Either you're gonna get a bunch of people to come to this movie going, "Yes, we Batman versus Superman. Who are all these other people?" <laughs> or you're going to have a bunch of people go into this movie going, wow, that was epic. I don't know where my hair just went. I'm can we, can we be honest and say that DC had a different problem than Marvel? Marvel really did have to say, like, hey, who's Iron Man? Yeah. We would think that people know who that is. Right. But in 2007, no. No. No, nobody in the general public would have, would have been aware. That's Whereas, like, nice. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, even, even maybe, and even Aquaman, because you can laugh at him if you want. People are aware of his existence. Yeah, well, and I think if you see super... a superhero with a trident coming out of the sea, you're gonna know who it is. Yeah, yeah. It, They're well, so iconic. You can give a lot of that to, I mean, the Justice League cartoon series. Yeah, yeah. The Bruce Timm Justice League cartoon. I mean, it it brought these characters that some people wouldn't know and made them. They exposed them to a whole generation of kids. I think though, seventy five years of merchandising. You're not going to encounter people who don't know what a Batman yeah, is oh, or yeah. what a Superman well, the big is three, or what a the Trinity is. for yeah. sure. So they don't. I guess. I guess they just don't have the same problem that Marvel yeah. had, especially since Marvel didn't have access to the character that they would have had immediate familiarity mm-hmm. with in Spider-Man. Yeah, so yeah. they had to go to their C-listers and B-listers. Mm-hmm. Whereas DC has always been owned by Warner Brothers, essentially the entirety of its existence. So they can pull out whatever stops they want. They, I guess, they figure for the cinematic universe different than the TV mm-hmm. universe. Let's just go with the big guns and forget trying to explain everything. Yeah. Okay, so in August, Warner Brothers is releasing their twist on the Avengers with Suicide Squad, but instead of superheroes, we'll see a team of supervillains. Uh, David, can you tell us about the Suicide Squad from the comic books and, and what to expect on the, on the big screen? Well, I think what makes the Suicide Squad interesting is they're they're not real. They're not heroes. They don't want to be heroes. They're forced into the situation uh, to where if they they choose not to follow the rules, they 
a bomb goes off and they're dead. You know, it, it'll be an interesting thing to translate to TV or not to TV to, to film and see these characters grow as people and even become heroes. Um, I, I think that'll be neat. And, you know, that's one thing that I've, I have liked about the comics. I'm not a huge Suicide Squad fan, but I like sort of the stories I've read with them in it. It just makes everything a bit more interesting. Uh, they have to do good. They have to be they have to be heroes and they don't want to be. It's the ultimate anti-hero story, you know? I think it's kind of what contributes to the success of characters like Deadpool and even mm -hmm. Wolverine mm -hmm. because they're not good guys. Yeah, but they're sense. not being forced to True. do good either. But it's that, it's that yeah. overcoming like overcoming something being so negative or so wrong, so mm -hmm. bad. I mean, these guys are on a whole nother level of bad. These guys are truly bad guys. Yeah. It was just yeah. anti-heroes. Yeah. Um, but it's that level of like growth or like I can be more than just the bad parts of me. Yeah. And I think that that kind of latches on to a little bit of mm -hmm. hope in all of this. And I could see like Will Smith being the main driving force for that story. Yes. As absolutely. being the biggest named super, well, super villain in it with, besides Joker and Harley. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, with Deadshot, he's always kind of towed the, the line anyway. So I think most of the moral of that film will come from him. Is I think Will Smith's a good yeah, Just for sure. In it as well. yeah. I think it was weird that they the the suit almost looks more like well, it Deathstroke. Looks, it looks than like it does Deadshot, Deadshot from the comic. Does I mean, it? it's yeah. definitely Deadshot. Yeah. All right. Well, I'd like to stop, and uh, we've got a, a trailer for the new film. routines and trailers, do you?
really sorry about the crazy ones. She's just got, they went to an Oscar winner. <laughs> we need somebody who could possibly convince the most awful people in the uni- or the world to do something against their will. Why don't we go with somebody who's got an Oscar? Right. For sure. Right. She's just got, and the, the character of Amanda Waller has to just have, like, presence and power and just that, like, you're going to do what I say. You're just going to be like, yes, yes, ma'am. yes she's, ma'am. She's the Oprah of the DC Universe, except the thing under everyone's seat is death. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, she, she's someone who's willing to do whatever it takes to get the job done. Yeah, no matter how vicious it is. She thinks she's Batman. Yeah, she she kind of is kind of like Batman. What do, you, do you think that's going to be a tieover between uh, her role at LexCorp and uh, could that be could that be a tieover between the two films? I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, eventually she's the isn't she the head of the Secret Service for President Luther <laughs> in the comics? I think she gets promoted to that because of her activities in. Yeah. Um, in Argus, yeah, yeah, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're not familiar with Amanda Waller, I recommend again going back to the Justice League cartoon series, um, the episode epilogue. Yeah, it's an oh, it, it's an epilogue to Batman Beyond as well as it is Justice League. Yeah. but it, it shows you exactly what Amanda Waller is willing to do in order. In the story of that episode, she uh, is basically creating. You find out that she created. Uh, Terry McGinnis to become Batman. That the world will always need a Batman, even if it comes down to her having his family killed and putting him through the same things that Bruce Wayne went through to become Batman. And it's funny, too, because he confronts Bruce Wayne, thinking that Bruce Wayne did all of these things to set him up to become the next Batman. And then you find out, like, neither of... Bruce Wayne's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then you find out that Amanda Waller did all this after in the Justice League show, doing everything she could to take down the Justice League and Batman specifically. And then she completely changes her tune in the future and says, I learned that the world will always need Batman. Yeah. That was so good. Well, uh, you saw in the trailer uh, Jared Leto's performance as the Joker. He's got big shoes to after, uh, yeah. after They're clown sized. Gabriel, what do you think uh, Jared will bring to the part? And, and what do you think his take on the character? Um, a good loss of 70 pounds or so. <laughs> <laughs> to start. So he wanted to go, you know, emaciated, as all method actors do. You, you like to uh, deprive yourself of food and drink, and then apparently that causes psychosis. So there, there is that. Um, I'm really hoping he hasn't actually murdered anyone. Um, again, method actor. Yeah. Um, the reports of him coming out from set are nuts. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. They did apparently on the Suicide Squad have an on-set psychiatrist because yes. the, um, and that's not, I'm not 
saying this as a joke, like the the cast members had some severe issues. Yeah. Like they they were working. They first of all they shot the film very very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been more than a year of pre production or post production. I want to say at this point. Because that trailer that we're looking at is like six months old. Yeah, at this point, yeah. By that sure. time, the film was in the can. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's... It, but they, they had a really strenuous work environment, and he apparently contributed. So <laughs> we're, we're going to say that it's probably... I, I hope it isn't, again, one of those things where it's over-calibrated to be too dark because they're trying to, to give an aura of menace. Uh, but... I don't think we're going to see an understated performance. Well, and I think, that but with, that's not necessarily a bad thing. With the Joker, they're definitely going uh, 180 degrees away from what Heath Ledger's Joker was. We're getting more of the the, the psychotic sociopath. Although he has a nice like car, philosophical gangster. Yeah. yeah. I, the and the thing too is, there, Will Smith made a comment about being on set with Jared Leto, and mm-hmm. was asked, uh, "How do you? How did you like?" meeting Jared Leto for the first time because I guess they had never met before yeah. and Will Smith and they said still I have never it. had I still haven't yeah. I guess he left there's a, a story that Will Smith tells about how like the first day of, of filming or something or, or at some point during filming yeah. he left uh, a box of bullets in Will Smith's trailer because he plays uh, Deadshot who he's famous for using a gun to do whatever he does Anyway, so there's a, a note with it. Shoot things, says, presumably. Right, yeah. <laughs> Whatever you do with guns. <laughs> with, a, with a note that said, uh, like, something like, two Deadshot love the Joker or something yeah. on it. And it was just this, like, box of bullets. And it's, it, just, it just shows that. And that was what Heath Ledger did with the Joker. Is he was so method acting, he was not even the same person anymore. Mm-hmm. And so now you've got Jared Leto doing the exact same thing. You know, and I think that's part of the reason why they kept the psychiatrist on staff was also because of what eventually became of um, mm-hmm. Heath Ledger. And that you know, it's a tragedy. You don't want to see those kinds of things happen for such an art. Yeah. You know, and then so I think that was probably a really, really good move on. It's what happens when you art. dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. <laughs> <laughs> things happen to you. <laughs> so uh, Australian actress Margot Robbie has drawn some attention for. Um, first big screen adaptation of Harley Quinn. Uh, Matt, do you think uh, Harley will be the breakout character of the movie, or are you more excited to see other characters besides her? Speaking of big shoes to fill, Harley, so Harley's backstory is she was never even in the comics. She just appeared in the cartoon Mm -hmm. first and became such a fan favorite that DC just like, oh, we can't let this go now. And so you have this character that was truly built off of, like, eight-year-old fans. You know, because yeah. we're all, like, eight years old, mm-hmm. 10, 12 years old, watching this car- Batman cartoon series, and that is what built this character. And now we're all, like, yeah, I'm 30 now. Yeah, know? exactly. And she's been around forever at this point, as far as I'm concerned. And this is, the, like you said, the first on-screen portrayal. I, I mean, it's, it's going to be a big part of the film. And she's me. gorgeous. Well, that doesn't hurt either. Yeah, just, you know. The issue is like, does I mean, it's essentially a character that was just built around a voice because it was a cartoon well, medium. Well, she was a one-off character, only designed to be a one-off hench girl for the Joker. Yeah. And Paul Dini just loved the character so much. He yeah. was like, all right, I'm just going to continue fleshing her out. 
and it continues to do that to to this day. And a little a little bit of a correction, she was on the short lived Birds of Prey series. She so was. She, yeah, there yeah. was a um she's actually played by holy cow, um uh married to Jim Henson. What is that I don't lady from the eighties? Yeah. Uh, she was in Legend with Tim Curry. She's she's a famous yeah. actress, I just can't remember yeah. her name. Mia Sarah. Mia Sarah. She's yeah, played by I think Mia that's Sarah. It, yeah. oh. So she short-lived live-action appearance before this. I think oh. that she was, to be fair, I think she was Doctor Quinzel in that. Yeah. So she may not have been like, uh, fully well, in the heart. Yeah, that would make sense. Uh, the only other person I think is going to be super, super interesting is to see Will Smith play a bad guy. Because it can't be worse than his last superhero movie. To be fair. <laughs> well, I mean, but, but, well, yeah. <laughs> but Will Smith is not a bad guy, man. Yeah. He's like the wholesome, like. He's the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, dang it. Well, I mean, like, and if the world's ever actually being invaded by aliens, I would still want to find Will Smith and be around him. Right. Just for the sheer fact. Because you know fact. he's not going to leave. No, he's going to survive. Yeah. Will Smith is the lead actor in this film because DC needs a hit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Will Smith has this thing where he released 10 films in a row that debuted number one at the box office, and nobody's done that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's like a superpower, but useful in DC's case. So. And then he did after Earth. Useful in the so. real world. <laughs> I, I said ten films. Yeah. And then he <laughs> did after Ten Earth. films is pretty good. And and he was in Jersey Girl as well, so. Yeah, well, he wasn't the star. <laughs> no. Yeah, he played himself in Jersey Girl, so I guess. We don't really have many details yet on the upcoming Wonder Woman solo film, um, except for the casting of Star Trek actor Chris Pine in the role of Diana's love interest, uh, Steve Trevor. Uh, David, can you tell us what you know about uh, the Wonder Woman character from the comics and what kind of storylines or potential villains we will see in this movie? No, no pressure. Ooh. You only have 75 years of history. Right? <laughs> and you have to somehow make that history safe for work. Well, it depends on which history you want to follow of Wonder Woman. Um, I, I have a little bit of a com- uh, confession. I've never read too much Wonder Woman. I, I, I know. I, I've read uh, a couple runs, uh, the Greg Rucka stuff. I, yeah, thanks, thanks. Um, yeah, I, I've read the, uh, the start of the New 52 stuff, but Wonder Woman's never been... Uh, yeah, Gabe, would you like to take? Uh, Gabe's read more Wonder Woman than me. Which I'm going to pass sad. this over. I know, and I've not read that much either. Yeah, well, there we go. <laughs> no, no, no I, we yeah. cheat. I'm cheating because we we've interviewed a lot of the the different writing staff yeah. on the on the podcast, which is why they invited us here. It's almost like we know things sometimes. Right? <laughs> but um, it I would say that, that it's a long history for the character, and I think if anything, it's. Essentially, the adaptation that I think we're hoping for is is either one of two directions, like either going like Captain America, so that you can have the character set in the titular time period where she was most relevant mm-hmm. and people are most familiar with, and everyone thought that was going to be an issue with Captain America, and it did a lot better than the Thor movies did. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they did exceedingly well, and I think hopefully they're not fearing that. So this will be one of the films with uh, hopefully that period setting, or well, you could go back even further and have it like a 300-style setting and well, have her fight awesome Greek monsters, you know? Uh, apparently, it has a dual setting. It'll be in present day and in the past, so we'll see how that could work for a film as well. I, I think that's interesting. I think it's interesting to have a time gap built in, yeah. um, and the fact that she'll have her cameo appearance, and then 
she essentially is going to be the, the egg that works as the binder for the recipe for the, the mm. first three films, at least leading up to Justice League, because it's, it's Batman v Superman, where she has a cameo. It's then Suicide Squad, where presumably she does not. Um, <laughs> no. And then you go, go, what is the next film? It's Justice League and Wonder Woman. So yeah. it's the, she'll, she'll have essentially, you have one that's kind of a non sequitur, but those three films... It seems like she's the the force that's bringing them together, even more so maybe even uh, than Batman. Now, what origin would you like to see in the film? Would you like to see her made of clay and brought to life, or she's the uh, the X-rated daughter of Zeus? Uh, The New New Fifty Two is like she's um, there's like I guess three different origins. So there's the New Fifty Two one is that she's. Um, she's a daughter of, of Zeus, yeah. and so she's a, she's a demigod in her own right. Mm-hmm. There's one where all of the Amazons are, are um, a pact of warrior women who took a, uh, an oath from the, the gods of Olympus that gives them immortality in exchange for, for their services. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of the Olympians in that case are, are immortal, but they're not demigods or yeah. essentially they're essentially like Greek mythical heroes that have been elevated to the status of that, but they're they have to keep those oath and those pledges to, to maintain that power. Yeah. And there's another group of Amazons that doesn't do that and don't have immortality. Um, and then there's uh, the third one, which is, I don't think necessarily like formed out of clay, but essentially, and that's something across the mythos is that like that's to the Greek god like Vesta or, or Hestia, like the goddess of, of the earth or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is like she can heal from any wound or any Amazon can heal from any wound if they're returned to the earth in that way, kind of like a, an actual burial. And so if a wound is like so severe that it would have caused death, they can do that. Gotcha. They also had like neat silver ray technology where if you get shot with a purple ray, you can be... <laughs> that, that, was, that was another source of the Amazonian power. Wonder Woman has been shot with the purple ray and is now a justice friend. Well, do you think any <laughs> so that's of the her, campier uh, version, I think. Any of her... Uh, strengths and weaknesses will translate. Like, will she be able to fly? And if her hands are bound, is she instantly weak? Which is one of the I'm biggest gonna, downfalls of I'm gonna assume the history that, of Wonder Woman. I'm gonna assume that they don't bring that up. Yeah. And it seems like they've it's given her. They seem like to have yeah. been doing more empowering than yes. doing anything. Like when she brings the cups together and makes that mm-hmm. badass. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> bad bad uh, awesome. excrement. <laughs> oh, awesome. Uh, Look, you made the dog leave the oh, room. Oh, I scared the dog. I'm sorry. Well, she she makes an explosion. Yes. That's pretty cool. I think that like they seem to be amplifying and and not trying to demythicize. I think the most infamous era of Wonder Woman, other than like the campy 1970s Super Friends version, is the version in the comics where mm-hmm. they decide to depower her and they think that that's actually more feminist. And yeah. everyone was like, what are you doing? This is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> you just depowered the most famous female superhero. Yeah. And so it's, it's really, I think that's why people think it's a tough direction is because sometimes they go with something in the, with a really good intention thinking mm-hmm. that it'll be leading the direction and then they forget that the character is more than just a woman with superpowers, yeah. which seems to be the thing that they lead up like, oh yes, why her power is that she is a female superhero. Whereas like that's not... It. Yeah. <laughs> She's been a character for 75 years, and even if you go like a Thor route and you pull less from the comics and more from just myth, yeah. there's nothing that says that Greek myth isn't exactly populated with interesting heroes and villains and, oh, and sure. tropes. I mean, it's the origin of Western storytelling. Yeah, yeah that's really tough to adapt. Yeah, well, uh, 
Well, I was going to say the Greek origins, I think, is going to help lend her really well towards uh, fan receptance because Thor is on the level of um, the, the Nordish mythology, which I don't feel like has nearly the uh, penetration, I guess, into yeah. like modern culture that Greek myth does. Yeah. And it's, you know, like, it's just, there's so much there um, with just, like, people knowing about the, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I totally, I totally get it, yeah, for sure. They're, they're more well-known. Every kid in here has seen Hercules. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to go from the Mighty Professor thing. Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. <laughs> the Mighty Professor? Yeah, Mighty Professor. You said the Mighty Professor? The Mighty Professor? <laughs> I was combining. I don't think that's a movie. The Mighty Professor is if you combine the Mighty Hercules 1990s live action show with the Mighty Professor. <laughs> and Kevin so, Sorbo. All so right. Kevin Sorbo plays. In a fat suit. Kevin Sorbo in a fat suit plays all of the Greek gods, including, <laughs> including Hera. And he's just like. It's just like, son, I think your behavior, your report card wasn't very good. I'm Kevin Sorbo. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's the future of the DC. <laughs> okay. So, for the, D, the DC universe right now has pretty much a, a wider reach on network television. It shows like Gotham, Arrow, Flash. But, uh, but Marvel and its parent company, Disney, uh, which owns ABC, uh, is using shows like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter to develop characters from within their own cinematic universe. Um, Marvel also has contracts with on-prime providers like Netflix, Netflix to develop new shows like Daredevil and Jessica Jones. Um, Gabriel, why isn't Warner Brothers using the same strategy? I mean, we're going to see re recasting of The yeah. Flash this is, for the big screen. This is one of the few things that we do know definitively because their executives like to talk about it. Yeah. They're like, hey, we need a hit. Is, is something that I've emphasized because it's true. Yeah. But also they, their ideas, they've been pigeonholing and, and making very, very distinct choices with each character. And they're like saying, this is the DC toy box. They don't have the same issue that Marvel is. There's no rights distinctions. Even though the different adaptations of these characters have appeared in different iterations across different networks, Warner Brothers is the parent company that owns all of the television and film rights. That's really never been in dispute. There may be some contractual agreements where they say, hey, for a limited period of time, we don't want you to use X or Y character. But if you're honest, they have the ability to do essentially whatever they want with their mythos. Yeah. And they've, they've mined it very successfully. I mean, we can joke about the Justice League cartoons from the 70s, but the thing is, everyone knew what those bloody characters were, and they grabbed yeah. a lunchbox, and yeah. they made billions, not millions, billions of dollars off of the franchising. Mm -hmm. And so what they've done with the television that's very distinct is that they've said, it's okay to have multiple versions of these characters. We've got different iterations of, of these characters across multiple television networks, and the, the interesting thing for the, the Flash uh, co-creators, uh, Greg Berlanti and them, being able to bring in a character like recently having John Constantine appear on the show, even though he had appeared on a different network on NBC, it, it's just to say, hey, any, I mean, Stephen Amell pushed for that, the, the person who plays uh, the Green Arrow mm -hmm. on another, on the, that helped to launch that whole current television universe. And he says, you know what? You could have, have a cameo from any of the TV characters at any point in time because, A, there's no rights dispute, yeah. and B, they're setting up the idea of a multiverse. So they're, they're doing it within the confines of their own storytelling, 
And they made it fun by doing that. So there's no, I mean, one of the person who plays the Flash on uh, in the Justice League film is Ezra Miller, and they've been good sports about it, saying there's no reason why I can't do a cameo on the Flash. In fact, yeah. he says he would like to because we have already seen multiple iterations of the character in the show. Yeah. We've seen three versions of the Flash. Two of them are the same actor, yeah. or it's presumably the same, not even the same uh, Barry Allen. So yeah. it's it's interesting. And, I mean, uh, I'm holding out for the episode of the TV series where they have his dad back as the Flash, going yeah, back yeah. to John the... Wesley Shipp, who played the Flash in the 1990s, yeah. is on the show as the Flash's well, dad. Hamill, and Mark as Hamill, as the trickster again. Yeah. Uh, and the love interest Moira, for the Flash. Uh, uh, what's, her, what's her name? Uh, the other scientist. Uh, yeah. Yep. Placing her name. Uh, Teague. Mo- yeah, Moira. Teague? Yeah. Uh, um, I had this thought when they announced Indra. Don't get me wrong. I loved him in person as Gene Walker. He's incredibly But they also announced it days after. Yeah, I believe the it was the next day. one of Flash, Nick Dustin, who's been now working on this Mm-hmm. It's done an incredible job. So to me, not using Stephen Amell, Grant Dustin, or uh, Melissa Lumos mm-hmm. onto the silver screen, to me that seems like it's a backhand to, to the audience at home, we just got a question from the audience here yeah. um, asking us about the, the choice that they made in terms of casting characters distinct um, and the timing of those announcements for the casting during the first season of The Flash it, with it was a poor timing. There's no, there's no way. It was like to, days before. It was, like, I think it was the day after the first premiere of The Flash. So to me, I mean, it's just, to me it seems what? like. What? Barry. 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 What did I say? I probably mixed up the names. Yeah. Which everyone now has seen that he does do a great job. He's going to be on it this season. I, I think that what you were kind of saying about the whole like multiple Earths thing or the multiverse that DC does are famous for, and it, it seemed to the point where like if you know much about DC or you're talking about DC comic books, you almost have to specify. Oh, I mean Earth One, or oh, I yeah. mean Earth Zero, or whatever. You have to specify that. But the thing that I think is super super important to keep in mind with a lot of these things is while that may be a good justification for comic book fans, and they mm-hmm. may be able to latch on to that and understand, okay, yeah, multiverse, got it, no big. Yeah. But I think for the casual fan, which is a lot of what these TV shows and the, and the movies pull more of their fan base mm-hmm. from the casual fan than they especially do the, the movies. Book, yeah. Yeah, especially the movies. Because you're talking about like grossing like $2 billion, like there's not $2 billion in the pockets of, of the hardcore dedicated yeah. comic book fans. You know what I mean? To be able to blow on a single like box office run, mm-hmm. which means you got to have at least. Bill consider. Gates, why don't you just finance one film? <laughs> I'm just saying, you're a nerd with literally billions of dollars. I get that you're trying to cure malaria and all those nice things. Just, just one, just maybe just one superhero yeah. film. I don't know. But it's just like, at some point, I think that kind of going along what what he said is that you kind of have to understand or. If, for the fans or for the sake of continuity for the fans of people who would be watching these things, I think this is something that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has done extremely right, is that you've kept this continuity. Agent Coulson, mm-hmm. that's on the TV show, same guy I saw in the movie. Yeah. For the casual fan, that's huge because they go, oh my god, I saw this guy. I thought he died. Wow, I don't want to watch the show yeah. now. You know, I, you, I, it, without yeah. using Stephen Amell, you, 
you kind of lose a little bit of that. Yeah, talking talk yes. about awesome actors, um, I feel like I apologize if we derailed the discussion a little bit because uh, I'm seeing the what's on the screen over there, and yeah. I see Jason Momoa, <laughs> and everybody's just like, "Hey, let's upgrade Aquaman." <laughs> and I'm wondering if you had any questions or if we if we. Oh, and we can talk about him really quick. Um, I just well, you have Jason Momoa playing Aquaman, the captain for uh, Aquaman. Uh, Matt, are you a fan of the Aquaman character, and what do you think that that uh, Momoa can bring to the part? Aquaman is is the. He's such a laughing stock, unfortunately, but he's actually very cool. Agreed. He's actually very cool. Like, okay, so this guy swims at a speed that, like, most people run, or even faster. Ooh, this guy has got to be ripped. Right. And, like, he can punch a car in half. Like, and I think that <laughs> in some iterations of the character, he actually literally can just pick up, like, what? What? Automobile. Cool. And Superman, you can do that? He, 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 he picked up an ocean liner. Yeah. yeah. And well, it was just like, okay, you're not in the A lot of people anymore. are just like, oh, he talks to fish. I don't care. Right. But and, the dude is like ridiculously strong. Not to mention, he's also like, if you're a fan of Little Mermaid, he's basically King Trident. All right? Like, yeah. <laughs> except, with a, except with a giant army that controls three quarters of the earth. Uh, and he's not a mermaid. There's also and, that. Yeah, he has, he has legs. Yeah, yeah, he actually has legs. So, and, oh, and they have the super advanced technology. Yeah. There's that yeah. kind of thing. It's Atlantis. Right. So, like, philosophers, science, like, this guy, I don't know, he's, I think he's awesome. I don't know if I like the dingy look, but. <laughs> and he looks a little too much like a sailor and a little less like a king. But... Yeah. It looks like he's going to throw a shark at you. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like That's a misconception. Right Aquaman doesn't just throw sharks, he occasionally throws polar beers. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have you know. <laughs> he looks more like the guy who's going to invade a kingdom rather than yeah. Not, not sequitur. Aquaman's a, a day drinker. Drafty. He looks a little more con, a little less keeping. We did get, yeah, we did get the chance to meet Jason Momoa a yeah, little while ago. Let's not talk about that. That was a good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're gonna have time for one more question. Um, so I had to, to jump around a little bit. Um, so basically, all these movies that are going to be in the emerging DC Cinematic Universe will lead into uh, two movies centered on uh, DC's uh, version of the Marvel of, of Marvel's Avengers, the Justice League. Uh, rumors are swirling that the league will battle the cosmic tyrant Dark Dark Side in the film. Uh, Gabriel, can you tell us a little bit about the character from the comics and uh, what kind of storyline could be used? He's not Thanos. No. <laughs> two movies. He just looks a lot like Thanos and is the big bad for the Justice League film, which is the version of the Avengers by DC. So, yeah. Do you know who created Darkseid, Gabe? This is a Jack Kirby creation. Yes. This is, so he's, he's one of the, uh, the new gods and has a really interesting mythos. And they actually have been doing fun things with him in the comic, I think in part because... Um, that continuity is, is well-beloved, but kind of off to its own. So when they were doing all the convergence events and things of that nature, they had their own New Gods event recently, Godhead, last year. Yeah. And they got to talk about the, the cosmic nature of these characters. And so essentially they're distributed throughout the entirety of the DC multiverse. So every universe has a dark side. Every universe has, um, has, a, has a, what is it, Dave Father or All Father? Mm. Um, they have they have all of those those different characters. A big Barda, 
they exist, they're multidimensional beings that exist everywhere at all states and times. They're kind of like Tardises, but people. <laughs> and so they're, they're really interesting characters from that dimension. And he used them, he used a lot of that, um, a lot of that mythology when he was, uh, when he was at Marvel, obviously creating um, Asgard and these whole ideas of cycles of rebirth and renewal and cycles of destruction and, and, uh, and how that, that is an important part of like the creation of, of these, these different universes. And so they're essentially world-ending characters. They're, they're characters that have the power to, to conquer or destroy or reshape the world. And the interesting thing about the Godhead uh, event that they did is the idea that, that they have that power all omnipresently, as I said. So they're as strong as they are in the every DC universe and every universe at the same time. And so what they let them do is they let them concentrate their power indi- as an individual just once for, for the event. And they're like, oh... Oh, you can literally just destroy the universe at this point. Well, he does and so, rule a planet named Apocalypse. He does rule a planet named Apocalypse. It's not on the nose at all. <laughs> no. But so, yeah, they're just incredibly powerful beings. They're by far the most powerful yeah. entities in the DC universe. How do you introduce the new gods right off the bat? That seems something I'm a bit concerned about. It's a huge thing to just drop your fourth movie in, you know? Well, I guess they did that with Thor again. That's the fourth Marvel yeah, film, but true. it's not like we're gonna. I mean, but Thor had a whole. Movie we don't have a lead through mythology. unless unless they're doing like the gods and monsters thing, and they have Wonder Woman as as actually being one of the new gods or something in that in that universe. And they've done that for the the television show or the the telev- telefilm mm-hmm. adaptation for mm-hmm. cartoons. They had. Big Barda take the role of Wonder Woman essentially, so mm-hmm. that was interesting. But it's oh, yeah, not for, a, it's uh, not an often take. But I think that like kind of going to the Marvel thing. Marvel has always been about like some super schemer getting all these other schemers together in this big, huge, long chain, and you never see it all coming. And eventually, comes to a head, very much like you have with Thanos. Like that's been that's been the deal. Yeah. With DC, you've always had this like. Dark Justice League or whatever, but they always fail. They're kind of almost comically fat and inept at everything that they do. And then you have Darkseid, who is a legitimate, honest to God, real threat for the entire Justice League. Just coming and just like, you know, now you require the entire Justice League. Yeah. These other guys, like, ah, I, you know guys. how you know he's evil though. The the biggest indication that he's evil. His name? No. Well, no. <laughs> I was going to say the fact that that he his ultimate quest is for a math problem. Yes. Yeah, he needs the the anti life equation. <laughs> so somebody, <laughs> yeah, somebody, somebody who's literally willing to murder entire sentient races for a math problem is probably not the nicest person in the no. universe. Yeah. Especially if it's called the anti life equation. Yeah. Well, I want to thank everybody for joining us for our panel today. Yeah. Um, appreciate you guys for coming up. This is a bit of a blast. So thank you all. Enjoy the rest of Starbase. Thank you guys Thank for you. coming. And you can you can find um, you can find the mighty the mighty professor on Netflix starting in 2017. <laughs> Kevin Sorbo, it's a year of Sorbo, I tell you. <laughs> thanks, thanks again. Hey listeners, this is Micus, creator of the kind of epic theme song Zombie Kids. 
If you're interested in finding out more about my music, you can check me out at micusmusic.com. Also, I am on iTunes, Facebook, and SoundCloud. You can look me up as Micus Music, and that's M-I-K-U-S, and you know the rest. All right, peace out, everyone. Keep listening.